I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology, and on today's episode of the podcast, I'm sitting with interior designer Kate Chalice in her Fitzroy home in Melbourne. So I'm sitting here in the dining room with uh, Kate Chalice at her home and I wanted to say thank you for letting us be here with you today and to have a bit of a chat. Um, I thought maybe we might start with the neighbourhood that we're in and maybe why you decided to live here and what you love about it most. Oh, well, we're in Fitzroy and I've been a Fitzroy girl for a very, very long time. Um, I didn't grow up here, but my grandparents, um, my grandfather was an academic and he owned a beautiful house just around the corner. My grandparents owned a beautiful house around the corner. I spent a lot of time there as a teenager. And then I went, when I went to university, I moved in with my grandfather, actually. My grandmother had died and I just fell in love with the neighbourhood because it's such a fantastic diversity of... Um, sort of representative, representation of the community. Um, you have all sorts of walks of life and I really love that. Fantastic. And so this is a converted shop house. It, it already had a residential component to the building when you first bought it. Mm. Um, you mentioned before a, about, a bit about the history of the building. Can you tell us a little bit about that and yeah. what it was before you moved in? Well, it was the Shrew Bookshop which was and Reading Room, which was the very first feminist bookshop in Melbourne, I believe. So if you wanted to buy Margaret Atwood, this is where you'd come. You wouldn't be able to get her at um, the normal you know, um, big bookshops. And apparently most of like early feminist activity um, happened or originated here. So it's kind of got lovely vibes, uh, good energy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, I guess, a huge space by Australian standards, mm -hmm. but it's obviously become a very comfortable and um, kind of going from intimate to very welcoming, I would say, the spaces. Uh, what was it a, that, about it that appealed to you when you kind of first saw the home? Well, I loved its history. So it um, was originally built in 1892, which is old for Ooh. Australia and Melbourne. Um, and I loved the fact that we're on a sort of a um, fairly busy retail strip. But when you come in through the door, it feels like you could be really um, quite... You could be anywhere. Mm. And also just its um, location. So we're very close to you know, the exhibition um, and Carlton Gardens, walking distance everywhere, walking into town. And so I just love that sort of sense of community as well. Like um, there are a lot of um, little shops um, on the street and a lot of the shop owners, we know each other. Um, so there's a real sense of community here, which is really lovely. And I think sometimes lacking in, in often in a lot of modern suburbs and cities. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, being Fitzroy, there's obviously then the cafes and the restaurants and the bars all at the doorstep, which well, must be very appealing. It's lovely. But when we first moved here, there was not one cafe on, really? on the street. So we actually had to sort of walk. It was about 10 minute walk to the closest coffee. And um, so it has actually changed a lot since we've been here. Um, um, but it's still kind of got its sort of edge and its uh, colourfulness, which we really love. 
Yeah, fantastic. So we're sitting in the dining room, which used to be the living room of the space. Yes. Do you want to talk us through some of the changes that you made to the footprint of the building? Yes, so this room that we're sitting in um, was the original shop front and um, we... When we um, purchased the property 16 years ago, it was actually the living room and it never really worked as a living room. The ceilings are really high. You're right on the street. You can hear kind of conversations that are happening. Um, in the olden days, you'd hear all sorts of fights breaking out on the street as well. <laughs> that doesn't happen so much anymore. And um, and then our kitchen dining area was right at the back of the house, which was sort of the darkest, quieter part of the space and very small. Mm. So we could really never have more than two people over for dinner at any given time. So when we decided to um, sort of redevelop the property, I decided to flip the footprint around. So to flip flip the um, floor plan around to actually create the kitchen dining in the front of the building. Mm. And then the quieter, more intimate part of the um, house, which is the back of the property, is now our, our living room. Right. And it's more kind of a living library music room because you know when you entertain people always gather around the kitchen they gather around where the food and the drink is so, so true um and i suppose also the other idea was when you walk off you open up the door you're sort of almost like in a private dining space i was going to say that actually that's how it felt as i was walking oh, in before great. yeah yeah because yeah. we've got a lot of restaurants um, in the street, so it was kind of emulating that kind of idea that you, a couple of doors down, there's a beautiful wine bar and lovely restaurant. So it was kind of this idea of picking up the sort of um, passion of what what's happening in the street publicly. Yeah, fantastic. And there is this amazing and quite striking photographic mural wallpaper that is kind of creating this immersive environment. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that came about? Uh, So it's a work by Valerie Sparks and she's an Australian-based photographic artist and I've always loved her work and um, wanted to buy a piece of her work. And uh, I didn't, it was, when I was thinking about the design of this particular room, I was originally thinking that I would purchase one of her large-scale pieces for the main wall in the space. And then I found out that she actually also loves producing this work work as wallpaper as well. And I thought, oh, I wonder whether I could convince her to customise the work for the space. And I spoke to her or her dealer and, um, yes, and she was really delighted to to do that because the inspiration of the work originally, it actually is... um, goes right back to the 18th and 19th centuries when these kinds of immersive landscapes were really popular um, amongst a certain, you know, upper class, of course, um, and they were beautiful um, panoramic landscapes that were often put into manor houses. And so Valerie was really excited about having the opportunity to be able to customise her artwork in a way that was always meant to be. Mm. Um, So she took a couple of pieces from a series called Laval and we I gave her the footprint of like the layout and the elevations and then she worked around that to um, make sure that the wallpaper worked we didn't want a, a shelf or a um, cabinet right in you know in the middle of the landscape that we wanted to make sure that was really coherent and beautiful mm. yeah I sort of there's so many places for the eye to wander I mean it's it's not a really busy 
uh, well, it's not a pattern, but it's it's not a really busy landscape. But I feel like I'm my eyes kind of travelling around the room, which is really quite lovely. Um, and so we're sitting at the dining table, which is uh, underneath this beautiful light fixture by Melbourne-based Christopher Boots. Mm. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about um, that particular piece? Well, I've known Chris for a number of years and love his work and. I, when I was designing this room, or in fact the entire house, my intention was always that it was going to be a real showcase for the extraordinary makers um, and craftspeople we have, not just in Melbourne, but in this country. And so I always knew that I wanted something of Christopher's in the room. And, um, and you know, he's, uh, I, I, so I rang him up one day and I said, Chris, I've got this idea um, for a light. Um, are you would you be interested in collaborating? And I want something totally new, like not something that you've already actually created. And he said, oh, I've got a few things actually in development. And as we sat down, it turned out that what Chris was sort of developing and the things that I was sort of thinking about were, there was a beautiful synergy to them. So I very much gave him sort of my sort of concept of what I wanted and then he ran with it and made something absolutely extraordinary. and the light is now, um, it's a prototype. It was the prototype for the Petra series, which okay. is now in full production. And it's 300 kilos oh, in wow. weight. Um, and you have to reinforce the ceiling to install it. Wow. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting because it's, it's uh, Christopher actually borrowed all the pieces of quartz one day because he needed them for a photo shoot. And uh, all the, the quartz was removed and the whole energy of the room felt so different wow. it was fascinating for me to actually see so it's um to have this beautiful ambient light in this really beautiful space was really important mm, yeah it's very special so if we move from the dining room in the kitchen which is this very sort of lovely light um very hospitable kind of space you talked about the living room which is towards the back of the home which is a little smaller is a little darker um, and looks like a great spot to sit up um, or curl up with a book um, are there any particular pieces in there that you would like to talk about? It looks like there's a real sort of collection of, of things. Have you bought some of those on travels? Yeah, they're, they're things I've, been, I've collected over the years and, um, and I didn't realise until someone pointed out to me that they're mainly female artists or works by men with very strong female feminist um, vibe to them so I didn't sort of realize that until someone else pointed that out to me but um, yeah they're pieces that I've collected when I was a uni student and when I was traveling there's some um, the main artwork is a photographic work by Australian uh, photographic artist Jackie, Jackie Stockdale um, which is extraordinary um, sort of bare chested female Ned Kelly um, and so she's in there so she's like a warrior you know um, and there's also some other pieces from various some some artists that are well known some less well known um, but yeah I, I love living with art and I love working with art that's what really uh, excites me and books as well I have yeah. to say I always love when I see someone's house and they have a, a decent amount of books on the shelves I yeah. think that's that's always a really good sign so if we travel from the living room upstairs, you have this kind of, uh, it's the original staircase, is that right? Yes. And the walls of that have been lined with a Fornicetti wallpaper. Yes. 
And it seems then at the top of the stairs, we sort of branch off from one side, which um, aside from your yoga room mm. is your son's, um, I guess, living quarters with yeah. a bathroom <laughs> and a bedroom. <laughs> Lucky boy. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the design of his bedroom and how you've tried to make that a space that can, I guess, transition from him now age 10 mm-hmm. to perhaps older and when he's a young adult? Yeah, so I really wanted to make sure that, you know, we don't have like a themed bedroom um that it's something that had real longevity to it so and it's a fairly small room so um we just i designed with a uh, a, a melbourne-based f- furniture maker we designed a raised um, sleeping platform and with lots of storage underneath and also like a little cubby house mm. as well which he loves and um and it has it's all sort of in black timber and the walls are this vivid green that he uh, chose and it's just really – it's actually from a Colin Sun wallpaper Um, and I was thinking about wallpapering his room in the wallpaper and my son looked at it and he said, actually, I want it in that colour there. So we had to then um, have the colour custom made and it's really vibrant, like it's luminescent. It's like a, you know, green emerald. It's quite beautiful. Um, And, yeah, he loves his room. It's it's a great place for sort of retreating and, um, yeah, just... um yeah, it's a nice it's a nice kids room, but it also has this ability as he gets older and he's a teenager or you know an early a, a young adult in his early twenties that it was a room that he would still really love. It doesn't feel like it's a, a it's a small kids bedroom. Mm. And the bathroom right next to that yes. is tiled. Yes. Where did those tiles come from? They're Moroccan tiles. So they're Popham tiles, and in this kind of amazing kind of zigzag, slightly electric. And again, he chose those oh, and wow. um, and was really involved in the selection and um yeah again they look really they're fun but still sophisticated um yeah yeah it doesn't feel like a kid's bathroom I think um and then to to the sort of the the back end of the house that other wing I guess um is then your private sort of master suite I suppose walking through the bathroom to a dressing room to the bedroom and your bathroom has quite an interesting wall finish on it as well can yeah. you tell us about that well I, I um it's all tadalact the walls and the, as well as the floor which is a moroccan finish it's what traditionally is used in morocco to waterproof bathrooms and kitchens so if you think about those amazing images of bright sort of blue or yellow or you know ochre colored bathrooms they're all been done in tadalact and there's no grout required um, it's just the combination of plaster lime and soap which has been mixed together and then applied like a paste um, up to the walls and again we worked with this um, specialty um, maker or craftsperson um, based here in Melbourne. He's one of the very few people who knows how to do Tadillact and it has this beautiful patina finish so it doesn't require really any cleaning. It's antibacterial, it's waterproof, so it's really good for the environment. It's good for, you know, you personally because there's no toxins with all the cleaning products. So I'm a big believer, something that's beautiful and doesn't require much work, that's functional is like the most fabulous combination. Sounds pretty good. And then you have uh, just a beautiful little sort of terrace space Mm. that is connected um, that you can also access from a circular staircase downstairs. Mm. But... Uh, that must be a beautiful spot to sit on a sunny day. Oh, it's gorgeous. And it's got a lovely sort of... It's kind of got a real Fitzroy view. Like, you can see um, 
the commission flats in one direction. You can see the tops of sort of 19th century terrace houses in another direction. You see sort of the exhibition uh, dome in another direction. So it's a lovely kind of cross-section of what Fitzroy, the Fitzroy community is. Um, and it's just nice, I think, when you're living in a fairly high dense area or inner city to have a little bit of outdoor to have some you know it's not a very big garden um but just have some plants and some life and a little bit of dirt i think is actually good for the soul yeah very beneficial do you have a favorite spot in the house or is that too difficult a question oh it's a really hard one because i think it's like um it just depends on your mood right you know sometimes you feel you know, a little bit more reflective and you want a bit more isolation. Other times you're sort of more open, expansive. And I think that that's what I really wanted to create in this space to actually, you know, we are multifaceted human beings and we require lots of different types of interaction and different sort of qualities of our lives. So I really wanted to have a house that enabled those various psychological needs to be met. Um, and still feel coherent. Because um, I think sometimes what can happen, or one of the challenges of open plan design, which I think can be really, really beautiful, sometimes we don't want to be in a big space. Sometimes we need, like as humans, we need our little caves and we need our places to retreat to and where we feel like we're enclosed, as well as being expansive. Um, so that's what I was really wanting to achieve in this house. Mm, couldn't agree more. And obviously being an interior designer, the house kind of serves a, a second function, I suppose, a, as somewhat of a showroom, I suppose, or a showcase of your work. Do you bring clients in here pretty regularly? All the time. Okay. Um, because I think often as a designer, you know, what we're doing is in, in encouraging our clients to to be bold and to have some courage and to um, realise what the options are, that there, in fact, there's all these amazing things that one can do. And I think that, especially in Australia, there is a lot of, um, there can be a lot of reluctance about committing to something bold because of the fear of how that's going to impact the value of your house. Mm. And um, which I think is a really interesting way of thinking may be important if you've got plans to sell but often if clients are sort of wanting to um, renovate or redesign their house so they can live in it for as long as possible I'm like well do what's going to make you happy mm. um, and don't worry about you know the real estate the value right now even if it's um, not your forever home even yeah like paint can be you can repaint it's not a it's not a it's not a tattoo you don't have to commit to it for <laughs> the rest of your life that's right? a good analogy yeah um so so i did sort of really wanted to show clients what happens if you actually commission an amazing work or you put wallpaper up right around the space as opposed to just on one wall or if you have a dark bathroom that's in this beautiful Tadillac or if you have like in that bathroom there's also some just some decorative tiles um, that don't serve a practical function they're just there because they're beautiful and they create kind of give it the space some energy and some color and um, and you can talk about that with people and you can even show them photographs but there's something that happens when you're actually physically in a space and you can actually you're experiencing the space on a sensory with all your senses mm. um and clients then often go oh yeah okay i understand it now um because it's a very much a very layered approach that we that the studio takes 
I think I also really love the fact that you've used so many different materials mm. and I think because it is a home that's being lived in, it's not a showroom, mm. that it would also give your clients the opportunity to see how these finishes weather and age and mm. patina. I think mm. those are all really nice words. I don't yes. know why we're so scared of that. Yeah. Um, particularly the Tadillac in the bathroom, I think mm. that's something that you could talk to people about, but they may not necessarily have the courage to commit without knowing how it's going to look over time and is that something that you hear from clients or people that oh, see the house? Absolutely because I think it's really interesting that as designers what we're trying to do is um, create and um, remove uncertainty um, for our clients so they understand that you know if they do tattle like this is kind of what it's going to look look like um, so having that experience is really important and also um, showing them, you know, like we've got some really beautiful walnut handles on my fridge and they're uh, 1.5 metres in length and they're, um, they're really stunning and it just, the room without those handles would just change the whole dynamic of the space. Like having something that's wood that you're touching several times a day as you open and close the fridge doors as opposed to something perhaps that's standard metal um, actually really does make a difference again to you know how we um, live in the space how we experience the space um, so it's those kinds of details I think is what really elevates the design it's often mm. um, it's about encouraging your your client to actually just take just the next step um, of, of layering and just commit just a little bit more to get that sort of refinement absolutely I think often what I've noticed is that it tends to be that's where if the budget's getting a little bit tight that it's those little details that tend to be cut at the last minute and people might scrimp and save thinking that it, you know they're not uh, the most important elements but I think you're right it's those little details that can often elevate the space and make it look a little bit more custom maybe mm. than something that they've just had made off the shelf or something or brought in off the shelf? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a really interesting question, right? Because it's about really, you know, where does architecture stop and interior design begin? And we've got this sort of very strange division between the two. Um, and in fact, you know, obviously architecture is super, super important. And what happens, what happens often is that by the time you start considering the interiors, the budgets run out. And so you might have a really beautiful space, but there's not much money for beautiful light fittings and, you know, um, lovely handles for joinery. And so it's a constant tension between, you know, where clients, you know, spend, <laughs> spend their money. Um, so, because ultimately we are living inside buildings, right? And um, so the, sh the, sh the shell of the building is super important, um, but equally important is what we actually are experiencing and interacting with um, from a tactile point of view, from a visual point of view, from an auditory point of view, um, from a sort of sensory point of view every day. Mm, absolutely. Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having us in your home today. It's been a great pleasure and, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful space. Oh, so thanks, thanks, Kate. My absolute pleasure.